0: Revelation chapter 10 We have been going through the trumpet judgments The catastrophes that they have brought upon the earth Now for a moment we leave the trumpet judgments after the sounding of the sixth And before we read of the events at the sounding of the seventh John gives us now a little insight into a yet future event. And that is the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth to claim that which he purchased. Jesus paid the price of redemption. He redeemed the world so that it would be God's once again. It was originally God's by creation. God gave it to man. Man gave it to Satan. So that Satan is called by Jesus, the prince of this world, by Paul, the God of this world. Satan offered the world to Jesus if he would only bow down and worship him. But Jesus came to redeem the world, but the price was his life, the shedding of his blood. So we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But yet he has not taken possession of his purchased possession. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that all of creation is groaning and travailing together until now, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Redemption is not yet complete. But in the meantime, Paul told the Ephesians that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. In Hebrews, the writer said that God has put all things in subjection unto him, but we do not yet see all things in subjection. The world is still in rebellion against him. It hasn't been brought yet into his power under his reign. Now God has put all things under him, but we don't yet see them there. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So we and all creation groan together, waiting, travailing for that glorious day when the Lord will come and claim that which he purchased, that which belongs to him. Yes, we rejoice in the Holy Spirit now and the power of the Spirit in our life which sustains and keeps us until that day that He comes. But we're really waiting anxiously for the full redemption and for the Lord to reign. And that's been our prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in this earth even as it is in heaven. Now, chapter 10 gives us a little insight into that coming of the Lord to establish now the fact that the earth is His and to begin His reign. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof all they that dwell therein. And God said unto him, Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Psalm 2. So, here He comes to possess that which He purchased. I saw another mighty angel, the word angel is messenger, coming down from heaven. His description would be that of Jesus Christ, clothed with a cloud. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him shall mourn. So he's coming with clouds. He's clothed with a cloud and a rainbow about his head. The rainbow, the covenant of God, which is about the throne of God, is now about the head. And his face was as it were the sun, as we read in the first chapter of Revelation, John's description of Jesus. And his feet as pillars of fire, also in chapter 1. And he had in his hand a little... Book that was now open. Remember this scroll that was in heaven or book with seven seals? No man was worthy to take the scroll or loose the seals. We found that it was the title deed to the earth. Now, having opened the seven seals, the book is now open. He comes with the open book in his hand. The book of authority the right and the title to the earth, which he has purchased by his blood. In the little book that is open, he set his right foot upon the sea, his left foot upon the earth, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, this glorious shout of the Lord, the shout of triumph, the shout of, of, of victory, I, I can hardly wait. comes with a shout of victory. And and this is recorded, actually, in many of the Old Testament prophecies. This coming with with the shout. Uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 25, and there in verse uh, 30, The Lord shall roar from on high, utter His voice from His holy habitation, He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as those who tread grapes against all of the inhabitants of the earth. And in uh, Hosea uh, chapter 11 and verse 10, Hosea also makes reference to it. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion. And when he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. And in the book of Joel, chapter 3, verse 16, we are told, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. And Amos also makes mention of it. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried, the seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, John said, when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. That is what the voices said. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and don't write them. So we don't know what the seven thunders uttered. (laughs) Uh, We'll have to wait for that. Uh, so God has left some of the things unspoken of the future and uh, just what are uttered by the seven thunders is, is, is something that we just don't know. And any attempt to declare uh, what has been uttered or even to speculate is wrong, whether or not they would be judgments or blessings or whatever. Uh, we, we can't even speculate on this. We just don't know. Where the Bible is silent, it's best that we remain silent. Not try to guess or to... The Lord said to John, just seal it up. Don't write those things. So we'll find out one of these days. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and he swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be no longer a delay. Time no more is literally a delay no more. We have been waiting. The church has been waiting for the Lord to come and establish his kingdom. The Bible encouraged us to patience in our waiting. Have patience, brethren, James said. Establish your souls, for the Lord is waiting for the perfect or complete fruit of harvest. James said, I mean, Peter said that this delay of the Lord would cause some people to scoff. And in the last days, scoffers will come saying, ah, where's the promise of His coming? Since our fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. But Peter said, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. But a day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is as a day. And know ye that this delay is really, it's for redemption purposes that more people might come in and be a part of the body of Christ. So the Lord, to us it would seem, has delayed His coming. But He's got a purpose in it. But, even as the Lord waited patiently during the days of Noah for a hundred years before he sent the flood, so the Lord waits patiently now. But the day of the Lord, Peter said, shall come. You can be sure of it. And uh, so at this point there is the declaration There is to be no longer a delay. Now, there are some who object to the angel being identified as Christ because of this verse. The fact that he swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things and so forth, and the lesser swears by the greater. And Christ being the creator, uh, why would he then swear by him that creates? Well, we are told in Hebrews that God, because he wanted to establish his promises, because he could swear by no greater, swore by himself, saying, In blessing I will bless thee. Now, uh, a man many times to establish the credibility of his word will take an oath. I swear by my mother's honor. I swear on a Bible, you know. And and man will take an oath in order to establish the credibility of his word and, and he swears by something higher than himself. You don't say, I swear by my pet dog. Your dog may be a liar. So you swear by something higher than yourself. Now, when God wishes to establish an oath or establish a a promise with an oath, he can't swear by any higher. So he swears by himself, we're told in Hebrews. So I find no difficulty in the swearing by him because again, being the Lord, he can swear by no higher. So he swears by himself that this is it. There shall be a delay no longer. That the time has come for the establishing of the kingdom and there will be no more delay. This does not mean that uh, time no more as far as watches, clocks, days, months, almanacs and so forth. Um, It means that there is to be no more delay before the kingdom is established. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God will be complete as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Now as we go back to God's declarations to the servants the prophets, we find that God has promised the glorious kingdom that shall come, God's kingdom upon the earth, and the wonders and the glories of that kingdom as the lion and the lamb will lie down together, a little child shall lead them. The lion will eat straw like the ox, and and, uh, there are just so many things. The lame will leap for joy, the blind will behold the glory, and the... Dumb will sing forth praises unto God. Just the glorious restoration of the earth. You see, you do not see the world that God created, nor do you see the world that God intended. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth His handiwork. Day unto day they utter their speech. Night unto night their voice goeth forth. There's not a speech nor a language where their voice isn't heard. God intended that man would come to the knowledge of Him through nature. Rational man looking at nature is brought to the awareness and the consciousness of God. Irrational man worships nature. Rather than the creator of nature. But a rational man in looking at creation is brought to the consciousness of God. But living in a highly urbanized area. The fields are covered with buildings or with black asphalt or freeways. The flowers, the trees destroyed, Replaced by the works of man's hands the skies become polluted and clouded with the smoke of man's industry. The pollutants that are placed in the air so that we don't see the crystal blue skies too often, only after a rain or strong wind. So, God's message to man becomes muddled. We don't really understand God as He would have us to understand Him through nature anymore. Man loses the consciousness of God as he becomes all absorbed in the works of man and the works of man's hands. And we lose that awareness and consciousness and awe of the Creator. That's why it's so helpful to take a vacation. So helpful to go to the beach or go to the mountains, go skiing. It's good for you. If nothing else, it allows you to see nature in a pure form. And as you see it, God can speak to you of his existence. I have no argument with the man who says, I find God in nature. I do too. He's revealed himself in nature. But, we must realize that even the nature itself is not what God intended it to be. It's not as God created it. God did not intend that Our water supplies become so polluted. God did not intend that the atmosphere become so polluted. That's all of the result of man and man's works. So we don't get a clear picture of God from nature any longer. But it'll be restored. You'll see the world as God intended it to be. Man is fallen. Man is governed basically by greed. And thus, he is not as interested in his neighbor. He isn't so concerned in the welfare of others. He's concerned with his own welfare. And thus, we do not see man as God intended man to be and man to live. We see the greed of man as he seeks to hoard for himself and take from others. And we see... Those then are, that are deprived because of the greed of others. Those that, you know, have money and spend it lavishly upon themselves. Buy dresses for $23,000 or some ridiculous, stupid thing. wear diamonds that cost $100,000. It's just ridiculous when people are in such need. So you don't see man living as God intended man to live, the sharing of the resources. But we will. When his kingdom comes, we'll see then what God intended the earth to be and we'll see how God intended man to live. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, then the mystery of God will be complete. As he has declared to his servants, the prophets and the voice, which I heard from heaven spake unto me again. And he said, go and take the little book. That is open in the hand of the angel which stands upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel, and I said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, eat it up, and it will make thy belly bitter, but it will be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. The idea is devour the book. Devour the contents. And and we sometimes use that term. Well, you really devoured that book, you know. In reading it, glorious what's going to be. Glorious when the kingdom comes. Glorious when Christ lays claim to that which he purchased. But the bitterness is the awful convulsions that the earth will have to go through before the kingdom comes. So when you read the things that took place when the seals were broken, the judgments that came upon the earth, that's a bitter pill. But the sweetness, of course, is, is the, the hope of that kingdom when it is established. The fact that he has taken his power and now reigns. And Then he said unto me, that is to John, you must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. So there was given to me a reed like unto a rod that is a measuring stick about the length of a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those that worship therein. Now, this tells us many things. First of all, that the temple is to be rebuilt. Because this is a yet future event In fact, this is an event that takes place During the midst of the tribulation period For we have not yet come to the seventh trumpet Nor have we yet come to the seven vials of God's wrath That are to be poured out So during the tribulation period The temple will be existing in Jerusalem So the temple is to be rebuilt And the worship is to be reestablished in the temple in Jerusalem. At the present time, there is a small but very dedicated group of Jewish people who are fanatically involved. Almost religiously so, in the desire to rebuild their temple. There are two or three organizations in Jerusalem that have dedicated themselves to the purpose of the rebuilding of the temple. Some of them are extremely radical. To the point that they feel that they have to, by force, drive the Muslims off the the temple mount and claim it for the rebuilding of their temple. There are others who have taken a much more moderate view and feel that the temple mount should be divided so as not to create a holy war they should partition the Temple Mount with a wall just to the north side of the Dome of the Rock, allowing them to rebuild their temple on that northern half of the Temple Mount area. There are scholarly men such as Dr. Asher Kaufman who has made a study over many years of the Temple Mount. And in his studies of all of the ancient records that he can get hold of, of all of the pictures of that area, all of the accounts, he has become convinced that Solomon's temple stood to the north of the Dome of the Rock Mosque. the 322 feet north of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, where this little flat rock outcropping called the Dome of the Spirits or the Dome of the Tablets exists, that that is where the Holy of Holies was in Solomon's temple. The fact that looking from it directly east, you look over the east gate to the Mount of Olives, helps to confirm the position of Solomon's temple. And thus he and other Jews take a more moderate stance, believing that they can rebuild the temple over the site of Solomon's temple and not disturb the Dome of the Rock and thus not disturb the Muslims. I believe that Dr. Asher Kaufman's group will prevail. For here... As John is told to rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those that worship, the court which is without the temple or the outer court leave out. That is, don't measure it. Measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for 42 months. So this outer court The area where the Dome of the Rock stands is not to be measured because it's been given to the Gentiles. So uh, there is in Ezekiel another prophecy of the temple that is to be built. Ezekiel also is told to measure it. Ezekiel records the measurements. But Ezekiel said he measured a wall around it. And the wall was to separate the holy place from the profane. So I I am convinced that the temple will be rebuilt, but I'm convinced that the solution will lie in a wall north of the Dome of the Rock, partitioning off the Temple Mount, giving the Jews 10 to 15 acres there in the north side of the Temple Mount for their new temple, And it definitely will be rebuilt. I I expect that to take place probably not in the time that I am here. I believe that the whole arrangements will be made by the Antichrist. Once the church has been taken out. For he shall make a covenant with the people. But in the midst of the seven years he'll break that covenant. And he will come to the temple and stand in the Holy of Holies and declare that he is God and demand to be worshipped as God. So I don't expect to see the temple built. I think that will take place after I have departed with the rest of the church and when the Antichrist then takes over. So it's interesting to see this powerful movement growing in Jerusalem. There is one of the yeshivas, a school for the training of rabbis in the old city, that are training these young men how to butcher the animals for the sacrifices, according to the Levitical law. They're actually training them now for sacrifices and the offering of sacrifices. So it's something that they are very committed to, and they'd like to do it any, they'd like to do it now. In fact, they, there was a group last year who were headed up there with explosives. They were going to blow up the Dome of the Rock uh, mosque. They found were caught by the Israeli police and arrested. And uh, are still facing trial. But uh, in God's time it shall be. But I don't believe it will happen until we're gone. And they didn't know that I was still here when they made that uh, preemptive attack last year. Um, They can do anything they want after I'm gone because it's going to be theirs. Now the Lord said to John, I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy for a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies If any man will hurt them, he must in this matter be killed. God is going to send two witnesses to witness to the Jewish people. The time of the Gentiles at this point will have been complete. Now God is going to deal with Israel for one more seven year period. Seventy sevens were determined upon the nation of Israel. Sixty-nine were fulfilled from the time of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. It took place 483 years after Artaxerxes gave the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Jesus came. Now, there is one seven-year period left for Israel in which God will be dealing with Israel. And in the beginning of this seven-year period, God is going to send two witnesses... One of them will be Elijah. In the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, in the last chapter, and in the last few verses, as God is ready now to close the door on Israel and going to open the door to the Gentiles and is going to send the the Holy Spirit out among the Gentiles to draw out a body for Christ. So God's final word to Israel... Of course, came through Jesus Christ, but uh, here in the Old Testament. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So the promise of the coming of Elijah again. And so he will be, no doubt, one of the two witnesses. The fact that they called down fire from heaven against their enemies. You remember when Elijah was here. And the king sent out a captain with 50 men to arrest him. And he was setting up on the hillside and the captain came up and said, Thou man of God, come down. I've come here to arrest you. And he said, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came and consumed the captain and the 50 men. So the king sent another captain with 50 men to arrest him. And he said, thou man of God, come on down. I'm here to arrest you. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire came down and consumed them. The king sent out another captain with 50 and he said, Sir, I'm a married man. I have a wife and children and they love me. Have mercy on me. I'm only following orders. I wish you would come with me, please. The king would like to see you. And Elijah went with it. But the ability of these two witnesses to call down fire from heaven, to consume they're enemies. Elijah's up to his old tricks. They're the two olive trees. The book of Zechariah. The two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Zechariah saw this vision. You see, Zechariah was a priest. And one of the jobs of the priest were to fill the little cups of oil in this lampstand that stood in the holy, holy place of the temple. There was this menorah, this seven-armed lampstand that Moses had constructed. And they would fill the little cups with oil each day, a special type of oil that was prepared for this lampstand, uh, The formula that God had given to them. And this would burn and was the light in the holy place of the temple. And it would burn continually. The fire was never to go out. And so it was the duty of the priest to keep these things constantly filled with oil. And any job that is done over and over and over gets monotonous. Washing clothes or dishes or whatever, you know. Now, Zechariah, being a priest, and no doubt many times going in and going through the, and of course it was a ritual that you had to go through. You just can't do things simply. You can't just pour more oil in. You know, you got to do things in a ritual way. You have to bathe before you go in, and you have to, you know, do the whole routine. And, and Zechariah probably was just getting tired of the whole routine. And, and so he had this vision. And the vision was he saw these two olive trees. And there were pipes that were coming out of the olive trees and the pipes were going to the cups. So the olive oil was coming directly out of the trees through these pipes into the cups. You know, it saved having to go in every day and do the routine. And the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel and said, this is the, or it said to Zachariah, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It is not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord, the oil being a symbol of the Spirit. And and therein is where the strength will lie, the power will lie in the Spirit. And that continual supply of the Spirit that is ours. So these are the two Olive trees, these candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. They have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So for three and a half years it won't rain upon the earth anywhere. Imagine the drought that that is going to create. They have power. Now remember Elijah when he was here before. Prayed and it rained not for the space of three and a half years. Great drought in Israel. During the time of Elijah, the reign of Ahab. Now again, shutting up the earth. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood. And to smite the earth with all of the plagues as often as they will. We know for certainty the identity of one of the witnesses to be Elijah. The identity of the other witness is not so certain. There are different Bible teachers who take different views. There are some who are certain it's going to be Moses. Representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. The fact that Moses appeared with Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration seems like they are buddies and uh, they're working together. The fact that they turned the water to blood, one of the plagues that were brought upon Egypt by Moses and it then refers to the fact that they have the power to strike the earth with the plagues as often as they wish. Points to Moses. Others believe it, was, it will be Enoch. Who did not die. But was translated directly into heaven. For it is appointed unto man once to die. And in the Old Testament two men missed their appointments. Enoch and Elijah. And so uh, they come in order that they might make their appointment with death. Because we are told here that after they have prophesied for three and a half years, then the beast, the Antichrist, has power to put them to death. So they finally make their appointment, a little late, but yet they make that appointment with death. So uh, there is... Good arguments. There are good arguments for either Enoch or Moses. I really don't know. It doesn't really matter. Now, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the Abuso, the bottomless pit, will make war against them, and will overcome them and kill them. He cannot until they have finished their testimony. They have a allotted time—thousand three hundred and sixty days—and or thousand two hundred and sixty days—and they're allotted time to to witness. And once they have finished that then he has power, but he hasn't power until they have finished their testimony. In a sense, I believe that God has control of our lives when we commit them to him, and he has a special task for us to fulfill and that He will preserve us until that task is finished. There are a lot of times when a person has a very narrow brush with death. When you're in an accident and, and you really should have been wiped out, there's no, there's no, you look at the whole thing and you say, that, you know, there's no way you could have come through that, but yet you have. The person says, hey, God's not through with you yet, man. <laughs> And, and I believe that that is true. I believe that there is a, a divine protection upon us as we serve the Lord that's going to sustain us until God is through with us. But I think that as soon as we have finished our testimony, then the Lord's going to take us to be with Him. Why would He leave us here any longer? So when they had finished their testimony, God has a task for each of us. Paul said, I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended of Jesus Christ. Recognizing that when the Lord apprehended him, the Lord had a special ministry in mind. In fact, the Lord even showed Paul the things that he was to accomplish and suffer for his glory. And several times they tried to kill Paul. Once they stoned him and really thought he was dead, they drug him out of town. And for all anybody knows, he was dead. Paul himself didn't even know. There was a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Whether or not I had an out of the body experience, hey, I really don't know. But I do know I was caught up to heaven. Spent a little time up there in the third heaven. Heard things that were so glorious, I I couldn't really try to describe them. It would be a crime to do so. And because of the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, there was also given to me this thorn in the flesh, the minister of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure because of the abundance of revelations. So they, they thought that they had done him in. His friends thought that he was dead. They were standing around all morning, and Paul suddenly shook himself, stood up, said, Let's go back into town and preach some more. <laughs> You'll be kidding, man. They just stoned you. But God wasn't finished with him yet. And so God preserved him. God preserves us until we have finished our testimony. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, we'll get that when we get to the 17th chapter, makes war against them overcomes them, kills them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So he identifies it as Jerusalem. And they of the people and the families and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. How can the whole world see them? You say, simple. Satellite TV. Right. How could the whole world have seen them 25 years ago? Couldn't. You see, this particular prophecy could not be fulfilled until the present day, until just a few years ago. When they put up the satellite by which now they can transmit directly from Jerusalem live broadcasts to the United States. And you can sit in your living room and watch events live that are happening in Jerusalem. So CBS, NBC, ABC will send their reporters. I'm sure they'll still be around. (laughs) For the most part. And they'll go over to cover this remarkable event. These two men who have brought such consternation. These men who had such miraculous powers. These men who had created such a problem, really, to the earth in stopping the rain and calling down fire and things of this nature. And they'll go over to, with their crews, to do a special story. Interestingly enough, CBS is going over with us to Israel this year to do a special story. Um, (laughs) Who knows what they'll make of it. You know, you really feel like, you know, you're just, you say one thing, but when you hear it said again when it's been edited, you say, what? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing what they can do to you. I'm always leery, but the camera crews will be over there. They'll be filming these guys and the whole world will see their bodies lying there in the streets. You see, the people will have been so incensed against them because of the plagues and all that they brought that they, they won't even allow them a decent burial. They're just going to let their bodies lie there in the streets and, and they'll come by and spit on them and. Kick them and and, and uh, just uh, do disgraceful things. And they that dwell upon the earth will rejoice over them. They'll make merry. They'll send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt upon the earth. And so it'll be the great worldwide celebration, partying and all. You know, these two guys had created the problems and now they're dead. And and the Antichrist becomes a tremendous hero in the eyes of the people of the earth. But after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God enters into them and they stand on their feet and a great fear falls upon those which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come on up. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Imagine the camera crews. (laughs) And their amazement. (laughs) when suddenly these guys stand up and ascend on up into heaven. In the same hour, there's a tremendous earthquake. You remember when Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake. A tenth part of the city of Jerusalem will fall. There will be slain 7,000 men. We don't know how many women and children in this earthquake. And the remnant of the people are frightened, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly. And when the seventh angel sounded, now we come back to the story again. We've been dealing with the seven trumpets and the judgments that ensued at the sounding of these trumpets. And now we come back again to the trumpets. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. The judgments are coming in order to prepare the earth for the return of Jesus Christ and the establishing of his kingdom. So, as the seventh trumpet is sounded, the proclamation of his reign and of his kingdom. And with this proclamation, the cherubim, the four living, or uh, the elders, the 24 elders, which sit before the throne of God on their thrones, fall on their faces, and they worship God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and reign. Finally, the waiting is over. We are there giving glory to the Lord, because the time for his reign has come. And the nations, we are rejoicing, we're giving thanks, but the nations were angry. And thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should give a reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints and those that fear thy name, small and great. And should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. The earthly temple or tabernacle was just the model of that which is in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his covenant. The ark of which Moses built the model here on earth. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Now as we go into chapter 12, we are digressing from the progression of the story again, which will be taken up when we come to the seven vials of judgment that will be poured out. So now we are taking a broader view of some other scenes. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and under her feet and upon her head, the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. The identity of the woman is found in Genesis as we read of the dream of Joseph, how the sun and moon and the 12 stars bowed down, or 11 stars bowed down to him. And so, the same figure here, we have the identity of the woman as the nation of Israel, those 12 tribes that came out of Jacob. She being great with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. So, she was ready to give birth to the child. You see, the purposes of God for the nation of Israel was that they were to bring the Messiah into the world. He was to be of the seed of Abraham and of the seed of David. And so God was working with this nation, preparing them as the instrument, the nation by which his son would come into the world. God had to choose some nation. So he chose the nation of Israel. And that's where they are, the chosen people. Chosen for what? Chosen to be the instrument, the people, through which God would bring His Son into the world. Now, the tragic thing is that when God used them for this purpose, then they rejected His Son that He sent. But they had rejected the prophets before they rejected His Son. In fact, Jesus got them quite angry one time with a parable that he gave of a certain man who went away to a far country and left his fields in charge of his servants. And he sent back a servant that he might collect the fruit from the field. But they beat the servant, mistreated him. So he sent other servants. They beat them, mistreated them. He said, I will send my own son. Surely they will respect him. And when they saw his son coming, they said, hey, here's the heir. Let's kill him. He said, what will the master do when he comes? And he said, oh, he'll utterly wipe them out. And The Lord said, that's right. But it was a parable really against the Jews who had persecuted the prophets. Which of the prophets have you not slain? Have you not persecuted, Stephen said. And so, God chose this nation to bring forth the Messiah. Now, the nation is travailing, being with child, paining to be delivered. Now there appeared a second wonder in heaven, another wonder. And behold, a great red dragon, Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And he cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the two wonders, the woman Israel ready to bring forth the Messiah, the Christ. Satan ready to destroy it as soon as it was born. You remember Herod when the wise men came to him and inquired where the king was to be born herod inquired of the prophets or of the of the bible teachers they said bethlehem and so herod directed them to bethlehem but he said when you have found the child come back and tell me about it so i can come and worship him also but herod was paranoid he was fearful that someone was going to take his throne. He, he killed his wife. He killed his sons. In fact, they, they used to say it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his son. <laughs> he, he was always, he was paranoid. He felt people were plotting, trying to, trying to take his throne. And so when he heard that the king had been born, he was threatened. And so he asked the wise men, come back and tell me. But he was intending to go and kill the child. And when the wise men didn't come back, he then ordered that all of the baby boys in Bethlehem area be killed two years and under. The dragon there ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Now, here an interesting thing was Satan. The stars of heaven are the stars are often angels are often referred to as stars and this would indicate that when Satan rebelled a third of the angels rebelled with him. That is why I believe that there were probably three angels created in the highest order of angelic being called the archangels. They were of the cherubim class of angels but three special and that was Gabriel Lucifer and Michael. And that they each probably had under their authority a third of the angelic host. And those that were under Lucifer's authority when he rebelled against God joined in his rebellion. With his tail he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Now when this happened we don't know where in prehistory this took place we don't know before the world existed no doubt this rebellion took place of these angels prior to his rebellion Satan was a perfect model Ezekiel said he was perfect in wisdom perfect in beauty perfect in all of his ways until the day that iniquity was found in him Ezekiel 28 Isaiah 14 tells us that pride filled his heart. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will sit in the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the clouds. I will be like the Most High. I'll be like God. And yet art thou cast down. There will be a time when you will actually see Satan one day and you'll be amazed. You say, is that the critter that caused us so much trouble? <laughs> Isaiah 14 tells us that. So there appeared this other wonder in heaven, this red dragon. Seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. We are reminded of the descriptions of the Antichrist who is the embodiment of Satan. His tail drawing a third part of the stars. She brought forth a man child. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. When Jesus comes to establish his reign and kingdom. He'll rule the world with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And that's where he is right now. Jesus has been caught up into heaven. He ascended into heaven. Luke records it in his gospel as uh, do other gospels. And he is there now sitting on his throne waiting for the father to put all things in subjection unto him. So the woman brought forth the child. He was caught up to God and to his throne. Now we move into the future. The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her for a thousand two hundred and sixty days. They asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming? The end of the world. And Jesus began to give them the signs of his coming and of the end of the world. Then he Said Now when you see the abomination that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, the abomination of desolation, then flee to the wilderness. If you're on your housetop, don't even bother to get your coat going through. Get out of there as quick as you can. If you're out in the field, don't even go home. Split. Get down to the wilderness. The abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, what is it? When the temple is rebuilt and that worship reestablished, after three and a half years or three and a half years into the seven year cycle, in the midst of the seven year cycle, not three and a half years after the temple has been built and, re- and worship reestablished, that will happen. It may be just a very short time after worship is established. It could be it'll take them three years to build it. The Antichrist will come to Jerusalem and he will go into the Holy of Holies of this rebuilt temple and there he will proclaim that he is God and he will demand that they worship him as God. This is the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks about. Now, Jesus said, when you see this abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let him who reads understands. That's what it's all about. The Antichrist coming to the temple, stopping the worship, standing in the Holy of Holies, proclaiming himself to be God. At that point, Jesus said, flee. Don't stop for anything. Get out of there. So the woman flees to the wilderness. That." She should be taken care of the place prepared of God that they should feed her for a thousand two hundred and sixty days or through the last three and a half years of the seven year cycle. Now, this wilderness place is probably the rock city of Petra. South and east of the Dead Sea. For in Isaiah, the 16th chapter, God says to Moab, which is present day Jordan, open up your borders and receive my people. Shelter them in Petra until the tribulation is complete. So until the indignation be overpassed, indignation is the Old Testament word for the great tribulation. So they'll flee to the rock city of Petra where God will take care of them for three and a half years. Now, uh, well, how could, you know, God take care of them there? Well, he took care of them for 40 years in the wilderness before. Fed a manna. He could feed them manna again. I mean, God has no problem feeding people. He fed Elijah with ravens. Ravens brought his food. So God will take care of them for three and a half years. Now, there was then war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. So you see, the dragon also has angels, the third part. So he has a great force of angels. And he prevailed not, that is, or they prevailed not, the dragon and his angels, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Now, at the present time, Satan does have access to heaven. And he goes up there just to harass us before God. Look at that fellow down there. He's supposed to be your servant. Did you see what he did last week? No good, you know. Accusing you before God. What a rascal. We have a picture of it in the book of Job. The sons of God were presenting themselves to God and Satan also came with them. And God said to Satan, Hey, where you been? Been going up and down throughout the earth to and fro through it. Oh, hey, have you seen my servant Job? Consider my servant Job. He's a good man. Loves me, hates evil. Perfect, isn't he? And I've seen that character. And I've also seen how you blessed him. Man, you've given that guy everything anybody could want. Hey, who wouldn't serve you? You know, when you're blessed like that, you'd be a fool not to serve you. Let me take away those things that you've given him. He'll curse you to your face. Accusing Job of being a mercenary, serving God for the prophet. God said, all right, go ahead. Don't touch him. Strip him if you want. So Satan began to strip Job until he wiped him out completely. Financially, totally wiped out. And Job fell on his face and worshipped God and said, Hey, I came into the world naked. Look as I'm going out naked, you know. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of these things, Job did not curse God nor charge God foolishly. So the sons of God, again, were presenting themselves to God. Satan came with them and God said, Hey, where you been? He said, Oh, I've been going around the earth. Up and down to and fro, through it. Hey, hey, consider my servant Job. Good man. In spite of all that you did, he maintained his integrity. Oh, yeah, but you wouldn't let me touch him. Let me touch him. Skin for skin, all a man has will he give for his life, you know. God said, all right, you can afflict him, but don't kill him. The limitations God placed upon him. Job was afflicted with boils, covered, had to lie in the ashes. His wife saw his miserable condition and said, honey, why don't you just curse God and die? Horrible. His friends came. They couldn't understand his plight. They began to accuse him falsely of all kinds of secret sins. But Satan, you see, was accusing the brethren. That's that's what he's doing up there. He does have access into heaven. But here, shortly, he's going to get kicked up. Michael. And his angels are going to fight against him. Going to prevail against him. And he's going to be cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceived the whole world. And what a deceiver he is. Now, because man does not want the truth, God allows man to be deceived. God allows deception. You don't want to believe the truth, then don't. And God will allow you to believe some crazy harebrained tale if you don't want to. You don't really want to believe God created the earth. You don't want to believe God created you. You don't want to believe that God designed your n- eyes in such a glorious way—the optic nerves and and the whole system of, of of sight. You don't want to believe that that's a creation. All right, then believe a wild yarn that a worm coming out of the ooze got burned on the forehead with the sun it wasn't really a forehead then just the upper part of the anatomy formed a freckle mutations and over the process of millions of years this freckle firmed into an eye with all the the intricate aspects of an eye, the nerves transmitting the message, the vibrations into the brain, able to interpret it and the movement and so forth. Marvelous Yarn Story that deluded men called scientists believe. If you tell that to your kids, they won't believe it. <laughs> so a person doesn't want to believe the truth, God lets them believe a lie, as as preposterous as a lie may be. Because they worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forevermore, God gave them over to reprobate minds. They believed the lie rather than the truth. You don't want to retain God in your mind? God will give you over to a reprobate mind. You don't know how to believe the truth? God will let you believe a lie. We read that the Antichrist is going to bring a strong delusion on the people. That those who did not want to believe the truth will believe the great lie of the Antichrist. Jesus said, I came in my father's name. You didn't receive me. Another one's going to come in his own name. Him you will receive. You don't want to receive the truth? Then you'll receive the lie. The deceiver who has deceived the world. Make sure you haven't been deceived by Satan. Boy, check out. And make sure that Satan hasn't deceived you in turning you away from God and the truth and the love of God that he has for you in Christ. He was cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. (laughs) And heaven now being rid of this creature, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation. And strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Continually accusing us. And they overcame him. The brethren being accused by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. So we have victory over Satan through the blood of Jesus Christ. The fact that we've been redeemed, purchased. I am a debtor, Paul said, not to live any longer after the flesh. Not to the flesh to live after it, but to the spirit. Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are His. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. The old nature, the old life was worthless. It's dead. We count it dead. We reckon it to be dead that we might live this new life after Christ in the Spirit. Our testimony is that of redemption through the blood of Jesus. The new life, the new nature that we have in Him. And so redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the testimony of that redemption, we overcome Satan. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Satan's been cast out. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. In just about three and a half years, he's going to get chained and placed in the abuso. So he's angry, he's upset, he's been defeated, and he's going to take it out upon those that live upon the earth at that time. Now, When the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, or Israel. So Israel, again, is is going to be facing a time of persecution. These people who have gone through, historically, such tremendous persecution. The Inquisition in Spain. The slaughter by Hitler. And now the persecution in Russia. Russia. These people have had such a tremendous share of persecution. There are people who hate them that don't even know why they hate them. Anti-Semitism is is an evil, wicked thing, but it is so prevalent. The tragedy is that they have yet more persecution to go through. Satan is going to seek to persecute the woman which brought forth the man-child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for time, times, and a half of a time. Time is a year, times two years, half a time would be, of course, a half a year, so two, three and a half years, 1,260 days, from the face of the serpent. Now, the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood, that is an army, after the woman that he, might, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So the army that pursues after Israel will be destroyed as, as the earth opens up. Uh, during the time of Moses when Korah came and said, hey, you've taken too much on yourself making your brother uh, you know, the one who offers sacrifices. We're Levites. We have just as much right as does Aaron. And, and Moses took the rods and set them before the Lord. And then the next day, after Aaron's rod had budded, said, okay, Korah, you and your buddies stand out there. If God's in this thing, let the earth open up and swallow you guys whole right down into the pit. And the earth opened up and Cora and his buddies went on down. So here again, the earth will open up. Actually, this great rift of which they call the Jordan Valley, of which the Dead Sea is a part, and of course the uh, city of Petra is there on the other side. This great rift, they believe, was caused by a tremendous earthquake, seismic uh, uh, movement and all. And of course, it's it's the greatest rift in the world. The, The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. And it's called the Great African Rift. It goes from Syria on down into Africa. And so it is a place of historic, uh, cataclysmic uh, earthquakes and and, uh, fire and brimstone that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And and so again, even as Mount St. Helens lay dormant for 137 years and then suddenly popped uh, this area, Going to just open up, close up again, and the army that is pursuing Israel will be swallowed. The dragon was angry with the woman, and he went to make war with a remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so chapter 13 or chapter 12 deals with uh, these interesting little vignettes into uh, aspects of the past and future. As we get into chapter 13 next week, we get into the Antichrist, and we'll get some historic background uh, on him as we uh, take a look at this man who I believe to be alive on the world today and I believe that he's about ready to take over and the only thing that's keeping him from taking over is the presence of the church but I believe that the earth is ready for him ready to receive him and that he is ready to establish his kingdom his reign over the earth and that he probably is already involved in world politics I don't know who he is. I'm not going to even guess who he is. But I do believe that we are at that time where he does exist and probably actively involved in world politics. And will be taking over as soon as the church is gone. We'll be dealing with that next week as we get into chapter 13. May the Lord be with you and give you a beautiful week. May you enjoy his presence and his fellowship as you walk with him. May the Spirit of God give you strength and power in your inner man. May He help you to begin to comprehend how much God does love you. How much God cares for each one of you. May you come into a new, rich love relationship with Jesus Christ. Where your heart burns with passion for Him and for the things of the Spirit. May you be enriched in His fullness. May the Lord watch over and keep you in Jesus' name.